and welcome to SFI Not So Live. It's our December edition, the last one of the year, and it's going to be a good one, I think. Um, we've got a really good special guest with us today. We're taking a slight detour on just being for, for brokers in the media, so we'll explain that in a second when we introduce him. But first of all, let's go around the rest of the panel first and do some introductions. Phil, welcome. How are you doing? Morning, Jay. Um, yeah, everyone. Hello. I'm Phil Lawford. I'm the Saffron Building Society's National Account Manager, uh, and I look after some of our key intermediary broker relationships uh, and, and make sure they get the service that they deserve. And a regular on the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, you will have heard Phil before. And Leslie, welcome back. We haven't had you for a little while. Um, Leslie, do you want to do a little introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I am Leslie Terry. I am the uh, Central Belt BDM at Saffron for Intermediaries. And I've been with Saffron for 18 months now and enjoying every second of it. And uh, you're an award-winning BDM <laughs> as of yesterday. Go on, tell us all about it. Let's let's say. Did you have well, your little yes, last <laughs> night I was um, fortunate enough to attend an event with Mortgage Force in London, and I got um, best BDM for the Midlands Region Award, uh, which is a fantastic achievement and one that I'm really proud of. Um, we attended a great night in London uh, for a homelessness charity. Um, the music was fantastic. The company was fantastic. May have had a couple of drinks as well, so I might be slightly bleary-eyed this morning. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely fantastic night. Brilliant stuff. Well done from from all of us here and everyone on the podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. And now over to our special guest, because we're going to have a, 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 a slightly shift of topic on our primary topic for the first one on technology. And I was aware of this gentleman's business for a little while, and it's actually a real pleasure to welcome Jesper to the podcast. Jesper, welcome. Can you give a little introduction to the audience for us and a little bit about the businesses you work for? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay. Uh, great to be here, and congratulations, Leslie, on uh, on the Thank award. You. That's uh, that's amazing. Uh, homelessness is uh, something that's really important and a problem we need to solve. I'm a great supporter of Beam, which you may know. So, um, yeah, uh, I am the chief executive officer at Smooth, and what we do at Smooth is a couple of different things, but. Overall, we are trying to make it easier, simpler, and more transparent to buy, sell, or own a home. And we do that a couple of different things. First, uh, we have a two-sided marketplace called eConveyancer. You may know eConveyancer. Um, we introduce consumers to conveyancing lawyers and then onboard them digitally uh, using uh, Digital Move. Um, so what that means is I, I think we can all agree that, well, I hope we can all agree that home moving is fundamentally broken. The fact that it takes almost six months from you uh, agree to buy a home to you sit in the front room and enjoying a cup of tea or coffee uh, is just phenomenally crazy. And um, we, we need more people to be more passionate about solving that. We're doing that by using technology, uh, specifically digital experiences, such as Digital Move, that sort of fastest onboarding into your conveyance are 21 minutes. And it wasn't one of our employees that did that. Normally, that takes weeks and weeks as you wait for uh, mail to sort of arrive at your doorstep and you completing paper-based forms. So we're making, um, we're eradicating that, making rid of that. Um, and then we have recently launched a business uh, 
called Smooth Complete, where we allow self-employed conveyancing lawyers that very customer-focused, um, four years plus experience to come work uh, when they want, where they want, and how much they want, as long as they look after the consumer. And we can talk more about that later on. Brilliant stuff. And that puts you in a brilliant position to um, to work on our first topic with us. But just before we launch into that primary topic, just a caveat from me. Uh, we are recording on the 24th of November 2023. So by the time you listen to us, some of the rates or issues that we've discussed may be slightly out of date. Um, these are our personal opinions, not necessarily that of the businesses we're working with, although I'm sure some of them will be relevant to the businesses as well. So that's enough of the boring stuff. Let's crack on. Um, so as everybody knows, we talk about the property and mortgage uh, markets and I want to kick this podcast off with a slight deviation to talk about technology. I was at FTT Mutuals um, earlier this month and I had the opportunity to meet with a lot of uh, mutual organizations and um, some of the primary banks and we were talking about the evolution of technology within our sector. And interestingly, uh, lots of conversations about builder society legacy systems, lots of conversations about the entire process, which brings in the surveying and the conveyancing side, which Jesper will be able to quite helpfully uh, give us a bit more insight into. Um, The conversation was very much about speed. Uh, but it was more about customer experience and the frustrations felt by customers and some of the things that were happening in the market as they were trying to move through. So I'm going to go do this uh, in, a, in a slightly different way. Come to you first, Phil. Uh, in the building society legacy systems have been around a very long time. We are mm. renowned slightly for being a bit slow to adopt new, to new technologies. Um, so I want to talk about that first and the adoption of new technologies. You know, we talk a fair bit about open banking. Uh, we've talked about, you know, access to, uh, I mean, this is, this is a given, but access to credit records, that kind of thing. But it's, it's more the process that people are a bit concerned about. But do you think that technology is the answer to speeding up the process? And I don't even mean speeding up the process, I don't think. I think also the experience for the end user. Do you yeah. think we, we we need to adopt quicker? Do you think we are lagging behind? Yes, uh, I think I think we are. And the process needs to be more digitized and uh, we need to harness technology. Um, but it's not, it's not the whole... Isn't isn't it's not a, it's not the complete answer. Um, you write the experience when it comes down to experience. Sometimes uh, it's frustrating uh, when th- it's when things don't go smoothly, and and you're buying a house in particular, um, and sometimes remortgaging, but primarily buying a house is generally the biggest uh, financial commitment of your life, uh, and. Is one of the most stre- can be one of the most stressful experiences of your life, and the frustration can be when you can't talk to anybody, and sometimes you want to make a phone call and speak to somebody, particularly if your circumstances aren't straightforward. So, technology will play a massive part for all lenders, uh, and if we can get rid of a lot of the the boring slow stuff that happens on every mortgage transaction, whether it's checking credits, checking their financial um, sort of commitments, uh, their, their conduct. If we can make that automated uh, and, and increase that, but every lender does, that's, that's great. But 
there are there is a sector of the market that will always not fit the the sausage factory the the machine and that's where lenders like you know, a lot of mutual building societies that's where we come into play for the more more complex stuff uh i mean we've saffron we've we're changing how we define what we do uh until recently we've, we've said we're a specialist lender but i think the specialist lending is perceived as being uh now as being second charges adverse bridging finance we're not in that space really uh we are a complex lender so when your circumstances aren't straight aren't entirely straightforward you're probably a good risk to lenders but you know um a credit score might not be the answer or your income might be complex or the property you're buying might be complex and that's where um the experience is really important so you've got somebody to speak to uh, or easily contact a good point of contact and transparency so the client understands what's going on uh, and understands the time scales because a lot of times frustration is is when people don't know what the time scales are mm-hmm. and usually if you know it's going to take a little bit longer because of the circumstances then that's fine you can manage everybody's expectations it's when you can't speak to somebody or communicate with somebody where 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 that that's where I think all the frustrations and everything breaks down. We've had a lot um, of We've had a lot of conversations yeah. in this podcast about you know with with certainly with you as lenders, you don't just look at a credit report, you don't just look at bank statements, you ask questions, you do things additionally. Is any mm. amount of AI ever going to be able to identify these things and give the advice that is needed? Because I think we were talking about, you know, the locked uh, data and the information that we can receive now. We talk about open open banking and looking there. But even when it comes down to income, you know, a paper mm. payslip is still a common thing nowadays. There's no standardized. So how do we know if that pay that's going in their bank is their actual salary, is overtime, mm. is bonus payments? So actually, if we're taking three months payslips, without yeah. that information – there's no amount of technology that's going to be able to do that unless everybody combines together, surely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what, what, you know, if everybody's paid a basic salary and everything's nice in simple boxes, that's fine. But when you know your, your income might be derived from shares, investment income, you've got multiple businesses, uh, you're retaining profits in the business, not necessarily drawing it out, that's where human intervention is important. So I think AI is a tool that can be and will be used uh, for some stuff. But in in terms of what what we do, uh, you'll always need a bit of human intervention because we're not we're not we're not after the straightforward stuff. We're here to help and provide solutions for when stuff is slightly more complex. Yes, but you wanted to speak on that? Yeah, um, I think um, AI is sort of buzzword at the moment and generative as mm. AI. And I think there's lots of great applications that, that can sort of help our everyday life. But is it very different to any other automation technology that has sort of come before from a implementation perspective? If we think about data, I think we all, uh, at least I do, and our business does rely a lot of data 
And data is great, right? Like what Phil just described, you can get all those data sources of that different income. But uh, I, I suspect, especially in your business, Phil, you're going to have, you have people that make gut feel decisions on the base mm. of that data. So are we, are we ready to jump from where we are today to even if you could have all those data points sort of coming in, do you have an algorithm that's going to interpret that them and spit out a result at the end of it? Probably not. You probably Absolutely. have your value is added by looking at those data forces and say, actually, do we feel good about this customer? We're going to lend them some, some money. And I think if we, if we think about that overall, there's tons of opportunity where we can make things better mm. in the entire home moving process. Um, uh, lending being one of them, obviously, early in the process, right? But let's think even f- before that, if somebody wants to buy a home, there's questions that are being asked by the state agent or could be asked by the estate agent um, that can feed through the entire process to make that more seamless, more smoother. Um, and I think your point on transparency, if we tell people, why are we asking this data? Why are we sharing the data upfront? And what's in it for you? Then you get trust throughout that Absolutely. whole moving experience. Yeah. And, and that, that means trust means repeated purchase. That means that we can spend more time with those customers. And it means a greater outcome for whatever the stakeholder, shareholder mm. um, sort of uh, portfolio is behind whatever business you engage with. So I agree with you. But I do think that we need to be much better at cooperating, uh, collaborating rather, sorry, yes. throughout the sort of entire process. I think I agree with that Absolutely. as well. And that was much of the conversation we had, Phil. I know we've talked about this loads as well. Leslie, you work literally day to day with brokers. It must yeah. be it would it must be lovely for them to think that there might be a way that everybody can feed that information in. They know where it's all coming from because they're juggling so many balls for their customers. And actually they do take the full brunt. I know you guys get a fair amount as as lenders, I'm sure, yes, but that's in these companies, but Really and truthfully, the brokers as a middleman, they must take a lot of pressure in this system, the slowness of it and the and the lack of understanding from the borrower. So surely new systems are, would be ideal for them. You, yeah, I think there's an element to both. So I think with regards to AI, obviously it can be fantastic, particular for your, uh, particularly for your lower loan-to-value mortgages, um, you know, three times income, automated valuation just using basic salary cases that would probably fly through a lot of lenders anyway but back to phil said it you know it's not one size fits all and because we are a a complex lender for us you know we do self-build and custom builds knock down rebuilds um also conversions i don't think there's any amount of ai that's going to be able to look at that with the touch that our underwriters can and the specialist um lending that we do through that also um we're not an adverse lender but we can look at customers that have a genuine credit blip through perhaps a little bit of naivety or just you know they've genuinely not known like parking fines for example the amount of people that will have parking fines nowadays and it's uh, there's a lot of you know companies out there that 
maybe are a little bit questionable with the car park. So where it's been a genuine credit flip and you can see that that customer is otherwise, you know, um, pays everything on time, pays the mortgage on time, pays the bills on time. We can take a positive view on that. Other lenders, you know, it would be a, a case of computer says no or AI says no. It doesn't fit our policy. Well, you know, we can actually physically look at that and say, okay, look, common sense here. We can see that's an isolated incident. And I think there will always need to be an element of that in mortgage lending, particularly with here at Saffron. Do you not also think, uh, and, and both Jesper and Phil both said it, it's the biggest investment of your, it's one of the biggest investments in your life. You might do it more than once, but it's the biggest investment in your life. Do you not feel that we need that little bit of hand-holding and arm-rounding during this process? Because I remember when I did it, I needed the help. I needed the, the wraparound. I'm sure you guys probably felt the same way. Did you, Leslie? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to be a mortgage broker as well. So I worked at a new bill brokers for 17 years. And there's absolutely is the biggest, uh, biggest decision and biggest purchase of your life. And and I think that going back to speed and transparentness, um, transparency, sorry, um, if you are guiding your customer through it, saying this is what happens now, this is the next step, this usually takes around about this long, as for this, you know, I think that if you lay it out from the start and manage their expectations, then customers are like, oh, okay, they said this bit might take a, a, a little bit, more time or this one you know should hear back in the next couple of days and you're giving your customer regular updates i think it's about you know how you manage their expectations from the get-go and that's obviously you know part of the advisor's job that brings me really nicely onto the to the process as a whole and having a way of visually seeing where we're at and what's going on at each stage as you're saying leslie you know that that borrower needs to know what the next stage is how long the next stage yeah. is going to take where it's at and normally has to call regularly bug somebody for it so yes but this is a good chance for you to come in and explain a little bit about what your company does because i think you are addressing some of that issue when it comes beyond the lender to actually further down the chain. Do you want to just give us a little insight into to what you guys do? Yeah, but maybe first, before we sort of dive into what we do, I, I think we have to, and we certainly do that at Smooth, think about what is the customer experience? Like, mm. how, what, what do you expect, right? And I, I typically say this to people, um, if you're using uh, an app, uh, sorry, a map applications on your phone, like Google Maps, or you used Gmail or Maybe you're on Instagram or something like that. Your expectation is at that level. Nobody is going to go, oh, hold on a second. I'm now going to go deal with my mortgage application or my conveyancing experience, my parts of my whole moving journey. And I'm just going to discount my experience by 50% and then I'm going to be totally happy. That's not how consumers think. How consumers think is they're going to expect the same digital experience that they just engaged with in any other way. So if they just delivered, so if they just ordered and had delivered food on Deliveroo or ordered a, uh, a, a car service on maybe Uber or Ola or something like that, that's what they're going to remember. So we're trying to think that way at Smooth. And as I said, um, we're trying to help people sort of onboard as an example into their conveyance. So, and the point that Leslie just made on getting sort of the updates uh, flowing through and the expectation setting being met. Um, 
we invested significantly into building Digital Move, which essentially is an onboarding tool that allows the consumer, once they've been instructed on e-conveyancer, to onboard digitally with their conveyancer. What that means is that we're not sending tons of paper, the conveyancer is not sending tons of paper to the consumer with a view that they're completed with their pen and then they have to ask clarifying questions on was that an A or an O or um, do I really understand this right? And that, to Phil's point, that slows down the process. We're having nice, clean, um, actionable data available to the conveyance so they can get right working on the, uh, on the case, uh, meaning that um, the time it takes to be onboarded is reduced to, and typically getting that paper back and forth and ask all the questions can maybe take a couple of weeks. The fastest case we've had onboarded so far into the conveyance or using digital move uh, was 21 minutes. So there's already some time taken off that. Um, two, what we then allow um, the conveyance and the consumer and other stakeholders in the case to do is to have a conversation in digital move. So they can ask questions. Um, the conveyancer can ask questions to the mover. Uh, so what is, to Leslie's point, what is your What's your circumstances around this? Uh, have you thought about this? So we have a nice sort of secure and safe environment where people can uh, communicate. And then the most important thing, I think, and certainly what we hear from all the different stakeholders that we work with, um, is we allow milestones to flow through from the conveyancer back to the different stakeholders. So the conveyancer will uh, update when the searches has been ordered, when they're likely to come back, have I asked questions, has the contract been sent out, et cetera, et cetera. And we allow those milestones to flow through directly to the consumer, but also through our APIs into, say, a mortgage brokering partner so that they can present that or to a lender so they can present that um, to their consumer in whatever customer experience that they may have, be a mobile app or a website or even just through the personal conversation when you're sort of checking in with the customer. And... Um, I, I, that's especially important because you'd be, you be, I don't know if you'd be surprised. I was incredibly surprised when I heard from conveyances that they spent 30 to 70% of their time answering questions where they have nothing new to say. So this is consumers calling up or estate agents calling up to their conveyancing lawyer and said, what's going on with this case? And conveyances spending half their time, think about that, spending 50% of your time, just completely non-value added as a result of somebody being stressed about they don't have an update. Instead, we, we're trying to drive that unnecessary admin down and be more transparent and more um, managing the expectations of, uh, of the consumer and all the different stakeholders. Now, Back to the technology angle, wouldn't it be wonderful if a world was standardized? And I was, I was in online travel and probably sort of lived through three cycles of disruption. And I still, when I came to, to Smooth three years ago, and I was like, oh my God, inventory here is managed exactly the same way as we managed inventory and in travel, say lodging inventory, hotel rooms inventory, back in 1999. <laughs> um, how can we move that forward? And part of that was standardizing different things and connecting different systems very seamlessly. Much to my horror, I went and saw some of our conveyancing customers and found that um, their systems are typically on-premise, uh, sitting under a staircase in the office uh, mm -hmm. in a server rack. They are non-standardized because when the system providers sell to the conveyancing customers, they say, how, would you, how do you work? And then they, they customize the flow to that conveyancing practice, operating practices, which probably feels good as a conveyancer. 
I mean, I don't know if you've sort of went and, I don't know, bought any technology and not had somebody say, here's, here's what 99% of customers do, buy, buy CIM solutions from salesforce.com or something else. It, it, there's, there's a reason why thousands or millions of customers use it in a specific way, because that happens to be the best way. So rather than customize stuff, let it be configured for the best way to do conveyancing or home moving or whatever it may be. And through that, you'll be able to connect the different systems much better so that there's not one definition of a milestone or one definition of a name or phone number and whatever. And through that, the industry as a whole can work together to pluck that information together and let it flow much easier to uh, to different endpoints. I, I really agree with that point, yes, because of you know, I've, I've worked for a number of lenders over the years and the default reaction for lenders, um, you know, not pick, not picking anyone out in particular, but is to is to is the new system needs to fit in with our way of working, which probably yeah. isn't the best way. And then once you start customising it, you're diluting it, uh, yeah. you know. And really, the the starting point with the scoping of, of should actually be well, well, actually, what's the best experience and and that's that's usually lost quite early on in the um in the process and and it you know i think on average it, if 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 a if, if a firm wants to bring in a new system uh, certainly with my past experience with 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 lenders it it's sort of a, a two two and a half year cycle at best if if everything goes well and and then by the time it's in uh <clears throat> Things have moved on anyway, and a lot of that is due to uh, having to, you know, the, the provider having to make changes to, to fit with what the lender wants, and, and it, it's it's having that, it's turning it on its head, and and, and, and thinking about the the uh, the journey and the experience from from day it's one. It's a really refreshing approach, uh, isn't it? Yeah. I think Absolutely. you have to look at this from a, a, a sort of countrywide perspective as well. The UK is so bad at infrastructure. And, you know, you look at land registry, it's that was promised, was it two decades ago that was supposed to be digitalized? And we've got nothing, uh, well, nothing concrete in place yet. And yet every time a house was sold, they could have digitized those things. It's, there's just so much that's been promised, not been done. But actually, you know, if you look across the entire of the sector and said, <laughs> Okay, if we had one thing sorted, we link them together. But I, I agree with Jesper. I think it's this this integrated approach, and and Phil, sorry, uh, it's this integrated approach. And I really, mm-hmm. I really think that's the way forward. And I think these technological innovators that are coming through, and there are so many. You know, I go to lots of events, and I meet lots of technology companies who are dying to get involved and are looking at other European countries and how smooth the system is, and go, why can't the UK be like that? And you know, we are a bit, we are a bit stifled and older. Uh, yes, we're sorry on that. Yeah, I mean. I think it goes back to the point. There's lots of sort of positive forces that want to make things happy and a happier path. And I think we all agree. It sounds like it on uh, here today. Um, but I also think that there are different stakeholders that needs to be willing to change. You can build the most amazing sort of technology out, but if people are not willing to change, it it doesn't it doesn't help, right? And um, if I think about estate agents, uh, great, they're going to get an agreed sale. And quite frankly, and I say this to our own estate agency mm. customers, sometimes they then just throw it over the fence, right, <laughs> and go, all right, now now it's for somebody else to deal with. And typically, that's the 
the poor conveyancing lawyer that is uh, in many cases underpaid for the complexity that they deal with. And everybody is sort of throwing stones at them and going, why on earth are you still working on this? Not understanding what are the conveyancing, what is conveyancing and what is it that they're doing and why is that great for you? In the same way as the conveyancer themselves are finding it very hard to, to change. And it's finding those conveyances that are customer focused, that are willing to change, that are eager to create a better experience, and of which there are many, mm-hmm. um, unlocking them and allowing them to fly, right? I mean, yeah. and at Smooth, you asked before, what, what are we doing? Um, we recently, about a year ago, we, we started Smooth Complete, which is a platform business for self-employed conveyancing lawyers. It allows conveyancers to come do what they love, doing conveyancing, offsetting risk, finding out what you're actually buying. We take care of the onboarding and the post-completion, allowing that conveyancer to take on more cases, speak to customers more, to Leslie's point of being the human touch or the human touch, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately make more money so they can afford to spend more time on, uh, on different uh, aspects of the conveyancing journey. So I, I think there's lots to do, both on attitude to change and engagement and not pointing the finger. I usually say to people, like, remember when you point the finger, there's three fingers pointing at mm-hmm. you. Um, <laughs> engage instead, have a partnership. And then the real point is the government absolutely has to step up, right? They have to step up and create rails for this industry to evolve on. There's way too much cumbersome things going on. Like, I, I think... The land registration, sure, they can be better, but they have a digital agenda. They maybe need to speed it up, but they probably need to be helped by the rest of the um, of, of UK PLC, say, and UK government to to get it going. And I know that you know, and I had from the event I was at earlier this month that uh, there's been a lot of um, positive conversations. Let's put it that way. But I think you know this this regurgitation of of the ministers within government has caused such a a lack of any kind of planning and conversion and moving forward. And uh, I can go on politics for hours. Uh, yes, but I'm not going to start on that. But, um, but what you know, what, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I have been hearing some really good rumblings from the Building Society Association, IMLA, working with banking associations. So there is conversations going on. But I think you're 100% right. I think it's about time everyone joined hands and started working together and coming up with a plan and a, a plan that can work on and then pitch that to the government and say, look, you haven't got around to it yet. So we've done it for you. This is how we want it to work. Now you give us what we need to help this and get this along. Um, I don't think that's very likely in a pre-election year, but we'll wait <laughs> or an election year. Well, I, I, I mean, let's look at it in, in a, I think we're going to come to the autumn statement, but there was 3 million to make home moving better in the UK. 3 million. Yeah. What is that about? That's a complete, it, it's, like, don't even waste three million to do that. That's a waste yep. of space. I agree. I agree. We will come on to on to the autumn statement most definitely. Um, we are going to move on now, though, um, to our second topic, and uh, this one is something that I know Phil you want to talk about. And Leslie, we have a little anecdote. I really found I like what you found, so we're going to bring that into this section. But this is about the rate conversation. Um, yes, but just for your benefit, we probably talk about rates and the Bank of England every single podcast because there's always something to talk about. And we had Ray Bulger last month. If anyone hasn't listened uh, listened to last month's yet, pop onto your platforms and have a look at that. Listen to last month's because Ray was really helpful to discuss the economic elements of this. But 
the rate conversation is really not over. I mean, we, we are celebrating the success of halving inflation because the government did that, not. Um, and as we said before, Phil, um, the only mechanism they've got is is looking at these interest rates and keeping us down. So this is more about celebrating success, but the governor said we're not going to be talking about rates dropping just yet. We have still got inflation of just under 5%. Prices are still going up. Food inflation is really high. So actually the squeeze on real people is 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 phenomenal because it is the things that lower income families are rely on, such as food, that is still increasing. Um, but I think this is more of a conversation about why rates won't necessarily go down. Um, Tony's not here this month, which is a shame because he loves talking about his cyclic uh, mortgage market. But Phil, I'm going to come to you first to, to imitate Tony's cyclic uh, conversation. But... It isn't really a time to look and think, do you know what, they're going to start dropping down now. We're not going to get that last bit of inflation, inflation down to 2% if we start dropping rates now, are we? Yeah, my, I suppose my, my concern is um, there's a lot, the, the positives are there's a lot of good sentiment now we're seeing in the market, which which is good. So uh, we've seen, and Leslie will probably, I'm sure Leslie will be able to reinforce this and and, and um and, and probably articulate better than me in terms of what's going on the ground with brokers. But the overall sentiment is there's more po- we're seeing more positivity. So brokers are seeing more positivity from customers. We're starting to see uh, purchase more purchase business coming to us. So this year has primarily been the market's been very much held up by refinancing. Uh, that's that's really held lending up this year. Uh, but we're seeing some positivity, which is good because of there seems to be an expectation that rates are going to be moving downward next year. So I, I'm, I'm embracing the positivity, but I, I suppose there's this cautiousness there that I've got that don't um, don't wait for rates to come down because it might not happen. And, and calling, trying to call and call and predict the market. Is a mugs game, you yeah. know. Uh, if, if 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 I knew what the market was going to do, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sitting here now. I'd be. I'd be somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> Have a lot more uh, money. Read a lot bigger house. <laughs> but, but, yeah, with with a lot more with a lot more money. So um, yeah. So, so you know, uh, and I don't. The, the governor of the Bank of England, he's he's warned that you know rate rate cuts aren't a given next year. Uh, you know. Um, and it only takes one unexpected world event that that will upset the apple cart. You know, nobody was expecting what's happening in the Middle East to happen, and that's that's you know that that spiked uh, or, or contributed to, to spiking um, energy costs. So, you know, uh, we we need to be cautious and not call the market. So, I suppose what I'm trying to say is. You know, make your decisions now on what we know now, not on what we think might or might not happen. So it's not always a good idea to delay things. Uh, you know, um, make those decisions now. That, that's that's really where I'm coming from. Yeah. Leslie queued you up there, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, queued you up there because your, your anecdote that I've got in front of me, I absolutely love. Where did you find this? So I actually saw it on TikTok and it was posted on LinkedIn uh, by uh, one of my brilliant brokers, but it really struck a chord with me. Um, do you have it to hand, Jay? Yeah, do you want me to read it out? Please. Yeah, I'm going to try and articulate it in a way. It's quite <laughs> long. Well, 
calculate it. So this is the point. In 1957, interest rate jumps interest rates jumped significantly, meaning mortgage rates were 7.5%. So if you waited for interest rates to go down to what they were 18 months prior, you wouldn't have purchased a home until 2008 at the earliest. You would have rented for 51 years waiting for rates to go down. Meanwhile, the value of the property that you would have bought increased by 9,351%. So tapping very much into what Phil was just saying, yeah, don't use rates as a, yeah, yeah. I said don't use rates as your decision maker because we're so focused on rates because they've been so ridiculously low yeah. and we've lived in this low rate environment for so long that we really don't, I know we'll, we'll come into affordability when we talk about the Orton statement and there is a reason for that, but... Yeah, we are. We have been in a luxury point, but actually, this really demonstrates that, as you're about to say, Leslie, that rates aren't everything. Yeah, and I think it's saying, you know, don't don't wait to buy. I mean, I think that obviously no one could have predicted the housing market, particularly during COVID, um, and it was absolutely booming. But I think the days of you making twenty thousand pound on your house in a year or two are not going to be here again for a long long time and i think that your main focus needs to be can you afford your mortgage for the next two or five years and if so then you should you know you should be looking at moving historically rates have been certainly since i've been a broker around about the five percent mark i i purchased my very first flat at the back end of 2007 um, which was arguably the worst time to buy. Um, and I was on a 6.5% interest rate and a, a rate of 4.99 back then was a cracking rate. And certainly for the last decade, we've just had it so good for so long and rates have never been that low. And I think that customers, uh, new customers and, you know, purchasers throughout the last decade have assumed that it may, you know, always stay around about there. Whereas actually, you know, I'm sure, Phil, you've probably seen higher rates in the in the 80s as well. Uh, but the, yeah. the, around about 5% is generally where they have been. So I think that, yeah, I mean, that nine thousand over nine thousand percent in a property value in fifty one years is just mind blowing. Um, and you know you would have rented for all of that time, essentially paying somebody else's mortgage rather than Burning being money. able to realise your dreams as a homeowner. So, you know, it's just down to your personal circumstance. But I think that the days of you hoping to to make twenty thirty thousand on your house in the next year or so, they're not going to be here for a long time. Um, it's your main focus should be on affordability. It's going to take a little while for um, generate this generation to not hear, oh, we were on like 1.5%, 2%, 2.5%, because it does. You know, you always harp back, don't you? Everyone harps back to, to the past, but you, you've got, as you just said something perfectly there, concentrate on what you can afford for the next two to five years. Yeah. And I think it is that conversation that brokers shouldn't be have. Yes, we have any thoughts on this? Um, how, was, how was the mortgage rate when you took your first mortgage? And did you have your first home in this country or somewhere else? Uh, I did not have my first home in this country, uh, but I did have, I did buy a, uh, an apartment in London in, I want to put myself back, sort of thing, 1997. Um, and uh, in fact, I had no credit rating to our conversation earlier, so I self-certified and my, uh, oh. my, uh, my interest rate was reflecting that for sure. Um, uh, but also, I, I completely agree. We've had 
a abnormal market in uh, completely unrealistic interest rates over the last 10 years. And we have to sort of fake back and normalize and um, get used to something that things actually cost money in the same way as everything else you're going to have to pay for for funding. Is it going to be at this level or a little bit less? I uh, I think and I hope that it will be a little bit less, but that might take a little while to to Phil's point to, to get us back to that point. Uh, I think the last, say, um, three years have probably taught us all that nothing is too predictable and mm. uh, you can sort of throw the history book away. Uh, so think about new things and new ways of doing things and use new inputs new data to predict the future is absolutely required back to our sort of conversation from before and those who embrace that change in whatever way is probably going to come out top so um let's 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 embrace the new let's use new data and find a way that we can better on the right risk and find a way that we can probably assess people's affordability and willingness to pay there we go. Affordability Absolutely. is a lovely word to put at the end of our conversation because we're going to move on to the autumn statement um, and our, our little analysis of what, what we actually got from that. Um, and I uh, took it from me personally, not me personally in my circumstances, but what I expected to be in there was pretty much there. Um, it, I think there was a slight amount of um, giving back with one hand and taking back with another when yesterday, sorry, yesterday being the day that the energy price cap went up, suddenly those those savings that low-income families made are now being taken away by the highest cost of energy for any winter we can remember. So um, I think there are, there are positives and negatives within, but I'm going to try and Let's try and keep it within our sector. But what I want to do first is look at affordability. Leslie, coming to you on this, you work with a lot of brokers. Affordability has been a massive issue um, for a period of time now for some people, so for self-employed, the, the, the post-pandemic period was a nightmare for them. Um, but there was some relief, uh, even for the self-employed, which I thought was quite nice, in that the tax wasn't on income tax or the cut wasn't on income tax. It was on national insurance. So everybody's paying less national insurance. I mean, I don't think many of us are going to notice it, but it, it is a little bit, you know, a little bit of a warmth. But it's not going to have that much of an effect, is it, on um, affordability? And certainly for first-time buyers who are really struggling with affordability. Yeah, at the it's not going to have a massive impact, but at least we're not worse off at the same time. Um, so, you know, every cloud. Um, so, no, it's not going to have a massive impact. And there are a lot of factors um when lenders are looking at affordability um but you know we have products designed specifically to help first-time buyers with affordability um particularly our jbsp products so there are ways that we can look to help um first-time buyers get on the market um um so I think that as well that they didn't they agree to increase the national living wage by was it a pound an hour as well as of April? So you know that's yeah. gonna make a difference to a lot of people. A real positive difference. That the hurts on business on that one, but no, certainly for the individual, I think that's a, a mm. huge I think it's the largest job they've ever done since we've had a living wage in, I think. So um yeah, another positive. So that's good. So we are attacking some of the lower end of the scale, looking to get on the market with impacts. Let's come to Phil, because this is a topic that you and I absolutely love, and that's house building. 
Um, yeah. A couple of bits in there, little bits in there to help along with house building. I don't, I haven't finished what I was saying yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in nutrient neutrality, they've got a new policy there to basically try and cover that. So I, I think that's a very negative, but it's positive that we can build more houses. Negative because I don't like anything going in our rivers. But they have got that and they have got some some what I would say is slightly weakened, but some planning um, changes to try and get some more houses on the market, but still no housing targets. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, housing and planning reform. The government said they're planning to invest, I think, $32 million across housing and planning to unlock thousands of homes across the country. I, I don't know. Where's the detail on that? I can't... Yeah. This will make you giggle. I found it, an article this morning. It was underwhelming for me. Homes was 40,000. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, um, we, we're pretty short of about, I think, what is it, 2.5 million? Yeah. Uh, so 40,000 is a little drop. But anyway, sorry, carry on, Phil. Um, yeah, no. So, yeah, overall, it, from a, in terms of affecting our industry, uh, it, it felt rather underwhelming. Uh, but... You know, I'm, I'm guessing we're into an election year next year. So, what I suppose really what's important is is, is what's is, is what, what's going to happen after that anyway, whichever whatever the outcome of the election is. So, you, you know, and, and um, when they hold it, because he could be holding up his sleeve for a snap election in May, they might release something in the budget. Um, yeah. I, um, I just you know, don't know. I, I've, I've, I've read, I've read and read and read. I can't find any commentators who are willing to put anything on what might be in the April. Yeah, because but. but so so realistically, in terms of house building and trying to start solving the supply demand issue, which 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 you know because our yeah it, it is fundamentally broken at the moment. That's only going to start after it's going to start in a new in in a new. Um, government cycle with, with you know we, whatever the outcome of the election is so you know what what we really want is this uh we need a long-term cross-party 20-year greenhouse building you know uh agenda that's what really needs to happen so you know whatever happens whichever colors in power you know there's, there's a I think if you can get cross-party consensus over a long period of time, that that's the answer. Whether that will happen, I don't know. But the optimist optimist in me says that's what that's what should happen. And no mention of social housing, which we, you and I, have always said. No, is I'm a major again, issue in this. Sad, country. but I'm I'm not surprised. No. Yeah, it's. It, I don't think we're going to see that in the. Uh, in the short term. Just for the sake of anyone listening, uh, there was cash for London, Leeds and Cambridge for house building. There you go. Um, just read that as we were talking. Uh, yes, but anything in the um, autumn statement that stood out for you that, that was positive for, for your industry, for this sector? I hadn't seen the $32 million that uh, Phil was talking about for planning, but um, I'm, I'm, you should, I think we should be pleasantly surprised uh, that's what 11 times um what's in there for making home moving better overall so uh, mm. although completely inadequate it's uh, it's another step sort of forward i i wish that we could step back to phil's point and and get some joined up thinking going here yeah. and uh, both between the different parties but also um between different stakeholders, public and private, um, there's a there's a real need for not moving sequentially. I mean, uh, spending 32 million on planning and three million on home moving um, 
if if that number is right, uh, mm-hmm. sort of just moves a bottleneck. And anybody who's done operational management will know that you're only moving as fast as your slowest sort of bottleneck. Um, so let's just uh, remove the bottlenecks overall. Let's work together to get it done. Let's uh, change mentalities and be open to change. And to the theme that we, we opened this conversation with, let's try and use technology where we can to unlock that will probably be me. But I, uh, I, I wasn't high-fiving when I was uh, sort of <laughs> listening to the autumn statement the other day. As a, as a PR person, it's my job to watch it and to co- write comments for, for my clients. And I found it very difficult to write anything. And obviously, I have my own political opinions as well. It was quite hard to switch it off. I did find one little nugget in there, Phil, that wasn't very well talked about. And I know it doesn't affect Saffron. Mm. It's, a, it's the bigger banks. But the mortgage guarantee scheme, which was up until December this year, has been extended to June 2025. There yeah. We go. Uh, yeah. So I know a lot of building societies lend ninety five percent anyway, anyway yeah. through old fashioned mortgage indemnity insurance. So I, I did, I did, I did spot that. But yeah, I, again, it's it all seems quite small beer at the moment. Yeah. That, that's my. That I'm glad you bought a beer because that there was a beer. cut on the rates for beer. Yeah, that was good actually. Yeah, yeah. So we can, <laughs> we can we can have a drink. We can uh, have a cheaper beer and a cheaper glass of wine, guys. So it's yeah. all right. It's all right. It's yeah. all good. Uh, Leslie, Leslie, no, don't talk about alcohol. I was drinking that last night. Um, <laughs> I think one thing I've taken from this conversation before we move on to our predictions for 2024, because this is going out in December, but just before I do, one thing I know, yes, you, you probably agree with me here, Phil. I know we've had this conversation before. It almost feels like there needs to be a working group across the chain, a chain wide working group that bats their heads together on a regular basis and looks at this and says, how do we make this work? Does that exist? I think there's lots of interest groups that are either. Uh, recognized or not recognized, they sort of pop up and that becomes a very desperate space. I think uh, as much as I don't typically in my ideology suggest sort of government is going to do a great job of anything anywhere, um, I think there's a a real need for some rails here. And um, it needs to not be uh, only the usual suspects in the context of what we're talking about here, sort of uh, big high street lenders only or uh, industry players that's been there for a very long time. I think there needs to be a good mix of fresh thinking, um, existing sort of players in the market, niche and, and, and larger, mm-hmm. um, to really sort of agree on how do we what what is the priorities and how do we get them moving and them not being three million for home moving and 32 million for planning applications right it just it's just so far out like let's let's just think big then prioritize and then start executing in a joined up way and it will look and feel very different and it will be hard because it will cannibalize some of the players that's going to be invited to the table of how they sort of protect some of their profit pots. And I, I'm a big believer in competitive forces, and I think that's a great thing that we can have new thinking that is going to ultimately be better for consumers as well. And looking after consumers should be what we all sort of think Absolutely. about. Like, how do we get the best outcome for consumers? How do we get them not being... Um, so disenfranchised after their move that it takes them years, five years, in fact, to sort of get back. I mean, our research shows that uh, 58% of people uh, do not want to move uh, once they're moved for at least five years because they thought the experience was so bad. They, let's just think about make the 
workforce and population mobile across the UK. And to do that, we have to build a better system. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Time to stop more lobbying. Okay, so just because this is uh, December's podcast, it's the last one we're going to do. The next, uh, just for the sake of the audience, the next one is out on the 1st of January. So we're going to record in December. So next SFI Not So Live, you'll catch on the 1st of January. But for this one, as we come to the end of the year, I want to go around the panel and just take a few predictions on what you think might happen in 2024 divided into two things so what you think is going to happen what you'd like to see happen or what your dream would be so almost like three categories so a realistic an optimistic and a dream um so uh, let's go to phil first phil you haven't spoken for a little while phil what's your predictions for 2024 okay yeah uh what i'm hearing i think the expectation is that um, the year is likely to be backloaded with half year two being more stronger than, than the first half of the year. That's that's what I'm hearing from some of our partners in terms of our market, the sort of the, the, the mortgage market, uh, and and interest rates will are likely to be at a similar level to where they are now maybe maybe slightly lower that that's that's the general vibe um again subject to no nasty surprises in terms of i suppose what i want to see i I suppose pragmatically i I, the our markets generally like uh some certainty and stability so it would be nice not to have anything catastrophic and you know uncertain happening next year so a bit a bit of certainty i'm saying that knowing that we're probably in an election year next year but um i don't even mind it being a bit boring next year uh as, you know if we can get some certainty stability there and uh what, what do i want well I've, I've probably already i think i've already said it and that's the i'd like to see a long-term 20-year green house building plan that's you know where consensus is built uh so that's that's what i'd like to see so yeah that's that's me like that leslie i know you're pretty pretty much the same sector but i'm sure you can yeah i would say obviously 2023 has been a pretty turbulent year in the mortgage market um uh, lenders pulling rates last minute um and just really the market and the rates being all over the place. So I think moving into 2024, I think it will certainly stabilise, sorry, um, be far less turbulent. I think that rates will probably even out around about 5%-ish as they have been historically. I think that um, the market will still be a little bit slower than it has been. But I do think that we will start seeing more people have more confidence for buying again once they know that this is more of a a market that they're going to need to be used to. And then what I would like to see uh, moving into next year is that um, lenders are helping buyers um, to, to to buy really so that we're all ending to more customers than we perhaps have done this year. Uh, maybe take a more... Um, 
maybe look at the stress testing a little bit. I know we've all had to increase our stress testing behind the scenes looking at customers, but I think that once we're comfortable the market is more stable, then maybe they're able to borrow a little bit more than they have been able to this year so that it's still, you know, comfortable for them should we hit any, you know, testing times. But I think that we we as a lend would like to help more customers uh, this following year. Like that. Thanks, Lizzie. All about the customers. Really good. And yes, we're for your industry, or uh, you can talk about the mortgage industry too, if you like. Um, I'll probably look at it from a customer angle. And um, mm. I'll say I'll love some more stability and predictability. Um, I think that is needed for all different stakeholders. And part of that is also as we hopefully get into more of that stability, sort of from a cost of living perspective. Um, Hopefully, there'll be more competition that's going to mean that uh, brokers overall are going to really add value to their customers and find great rates in a true sort of VMO as well versus uh, this sort of very high proportion of product transfers we're seeing at the moment. Um, I, I think the building blocks for that it probably takes me into the optimistic category of we, we're going to hopefully see some of those things that Phil alluded to in uh, Ukraine and Russia, the Middle East situation and the like to stabilize a little bit so that we can um, have a, a have that stability. And then lastly, my dream is let's just have more, uh, more joined up thinking, more engagement from public and private and more ability to change. Perfect. Perfect. There we go. And um, I'm going to put my two pennies worth in. I know I'm going to need the host, but I'll put my two pennies worth in. I would quite like to see some political stability. Um, I think certainly over the last few years, we've had so much chop and change. We've had no sector specialisms, nobody monitoring and, and developing policy for our sector. So I'd quite like to just have one person in office who we can talk to, who can bring into the sector and who can support us and grow for the sake of not not us, but for the sake of the borrowers and for the sake of the people looking to get on the property market and certainly even for those who are looking to change. What a really good discussion. Do you know what? I think we can go on forever. We're running out of time, but uh, yeah. it has been a really interesting podcast. Um, yes, but thank you so much for joining us. You've added so much to it. And do come back to us again. We'd love to have you again in the future. Thank, thanks for having me. And I'm pleased that the order statement allowed us to have more Christmas drinks at a lower price. So <laughs> we'll go out and have one. We're going to have one this weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> Leslie, thank you for joining us. It's been a little while since you've been on, isn't it? Yes, um, it has. It's nice to have you back. Thank and you. Congratulations on your award. Lovely to meet you, Jess. Yes, Ben. Likewise. And Phil, finally to you, uh, thank you as always. And we'll see you in January's podcast. Um, I'm sure everyone on the uh, team, uh, the panel here will join me in wishing everyone a fest happy festive period, Christmas, however you celebrate, and a happy new year. And I say our next podcast will be out on the 1st of January. Just before I go, I'd just like to announce something we announced, or I announced to uh, the team at Saffron yesterday, but uh, SFI Not So Live is now the number one mortgage podcast in the UK. We've gone from six to number one, which makes me very happy. So um, from the number one mortgage podcast, a very happy Christmas, happy festive season, however you celebrate, and we'll see you in January. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh.